Okay, so there's that bit towards the end of uh, Bada Bing where they're all getting ready for this caper, and you've got that great jazzy version of the DS9 theme, and you see pretty much the entire cast there. That was the moment that I realized we're almost at the end of this thing. Like, it was... I, I... I glanced forward at the episodes ahead, and while I didn't really see anything, I saw a lot of part ones and part twos. We're getting into that final descent arc either next week or the week after. Oh, please don't say descent. <laughs> it's much better than that. Um, this is probably the last time we're going to see the gang happy and relaxed and having a fun time just doing something bonding together. And it's a very poignant episode in that way. Which is funny because it is a kind of a lighter episode. It's a comedy episode. It's a, you know, costumer episode. But I don't know. It it was very nice. It it was just a very lovely moment. I can see people not liking this episode for reasons, but I can also see this as a kind of calm before before the storm episode. It definitely is. I I like this episode a lot. And I think that one of the things that's always striking to me uh, about the differences between Deep Space Nine and, and The Next Generation is that... The Next Generation was very much about these characters as a family. And there were a lot of episodes, a lot of scenes with them all together. I mean, the poker scenes, for example, were, were a classic way to to gel that that cast together. Yeah, that the very last episode of the TNG ends with them finally, you know, Picard finally joining the poker team and, you know, kind of a completeness is right. not incidental. Right. And, and Deep Space Nine has never really been that show. They certainly have a good working relationship. You certainly have friendships, you know, between and amongst yeah. different different cast members and, and, and crew but for the most part you don't really get a sense of the entire you know main cast of the show as this sort of like discrete entity that yeah. all kind of love each other and there's moments like sa- the end of sound of her voice for example sure. or anytime cisco's cooking for everybody but yeah they're not they don't all hang out together all the time right and and interestingly enough i mean this season has had two episodes like that Take me out to the Hall of Sweet and yeah. now bada bing, bada bang. And, you know, I, I'm not really sure why uh, uh, the show decided to do this kind of, these kinds of episodes in the last season. I mean, certainly we, we've had a couple episodes like this before, but uh, two of them so close together, especially bada bing, bada bang, as you said, takes place before the, the long, like, serialized arc that is the last, like, eight episodes of the show. Um, they do put uh, part one, part two, part three, part four. I don't know why they do that in, in Netflix. Um, they're, they're yeah, not, they don't actually have that in the title, but it's not really relevant. They're not actually like two-parters. It's just one long well, string it, of episodes. It, what I think it seemed like was like two – there was like three two-parters in a row or something like that was how they structured it. No, it's actually – they actually have like part one, part two, part three, part oh. four, part five, part six, part seven, part okay, eight Okay, I Netflix. just glanced. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why they do it like that. But – I, I think that they they put bada bing bada bang in this spot very deliberately because you know especially with the the next episode um, inter arma Armstrong Vinny Vidivici yeah uh, Latin 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 is that it really is the last gasp for the entire crew to do something yeah. that's just goofy now obviously. They're not going to leave the Dominion War unresolved at the end of the show. That's not the kind of yeah. thing that Star Trek generally <laughs> does. They're not just going to go, 
okay, well, we're out and um, maybe we'll beat the Dominion and maybe we won't. But, you know, you're, you're going to get some sort of resolution about the Dominion storyline. You're yeah. going to get some sort of resolution about, um, you know, Odo's storyline. You're going to get some sort of resolution about, yeah. about the founders and Cardassia and all of these things. And especially at the point that they're producing this episode, they know what their, that resolution is, I would assume. Like, they, if they haven't finished that last arc of it, they've got an outline. Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, you know, I, I like this episode a lot because it does... I don't know. It's interesting to me because it it, it, it does sell them together in, in, yeah. in a way. And I like that, like, Cassidy's there, for example. I don't know why Jake's not there, but that's a side yeah, issue. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, Especially because I think they mention Jake going to uh, Vix from time to time. So, uh, you know, it would be nice to see him here. But uh, I think one of the reasons, though, that this is a particularly good episode is because it does have some very nice subtext that kind of reintroduces a lot of the themes of the series as a whole. Um, for example, very obviously, is Ben Sisko talking about the racism that was and segregation in the 60s when this club was a reflection of and that discussion that he and Cassidy have about representation and escapism and all of that kind of thing, which we will certainly get into. Um, yeah, and that's, you know, that that's always um, a weird thing to me because, not to bring up other shows, but like, Time travel shows, for example, like yeah. uh, I've been watching Doctor Who, and I've also been watching this this new show called Timeless, and and they're both time travel shows, and they both um, Doctor Who. I'm watching the third season right now, which has Martha Jones, which is a black companion, black woman companion, yeah. and they do kind of obliquely go into the racism angle because she's worried about being a 19th century yeah, 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 London yeah. or something at one point. And Timeless actually deals with it a lot, where um they're kind of having to to hide him sometimes he has to pretend to be a, a freed man sometimes he has to you know like well that's the, a, and and it, and you know so i think that um you know certainly uh, uh start you know science fiction in general has been dealing with that more and well especially the more that uh, again it, it's kind of you talk about the writers such as ben russell you know that era where Black characters are just not in science fiction for any reason. So you can have time travel stories, you know, where women are just accessories. You're not going to as as people are more aware of other people's experiences, time travel stories suddenly become a lot more complex and sophisticated. And then that becomes a, I, I think it's a very interesting way of exploring historical race relations, for example. But, yeah, yeah. And and so. I think that what you're seeing here, of course, is is Avery Brooks's influence on the yeah. show as the show has gone on. His, you know, interests and, yeah. and concerns about race relations in present day America, and his, I think, his really strong commitment to to you yeah. know, j- racial justice and civil rights is is coming out in the character of of Ben Cisco, and I really do think it works. I mean, obviously, I don't know that they had it in mind. I don't think they designed it to never have Ben Cisco go to Vix because of this reason. But I think it's one, it seems to me like it's one of those things where they noticed it and came up with a really good reason for it. The one caveat I had about, because I love that exchange that they have. I especially love, um, on the one hand, you do need to honor the fact that historically this way, I I, I mean, there's plenty of talk in fantasy today. Like when the Witcher came out, for example, a lot of, you know, the thought of, well, is it historically accurate to have, you know, people of color in this uh, universe when, you know, a, a, and then the very obvious caveat, well, you have dragons, you know, the, so you're you're going to. You, yeah, there's that, that it, whole that whole thing someone wrote about, like, there were no potatoes. And so, like, why don't you get upset yes, about potatoes? Yeah, exactly. Um, a, and 
you do have Cassidy's point, which is very valid, that we can have a glimpse of what it could have been and that, frankly, everybody has the right to a little escapism. You know, you have the – Vix is construct is talked about in this episode as a place where everybody can go and just, you know, hang out and listen to music and have a drink and forget about everything because – Frankly, all the characters are dealing with enough shit that if they're going to go for an hour to a holosuite, this is very nice. Frankly, the entire conflict of the episode has to do with them being upset that this game has taken over. You know, the programmer put in this, oh, this is going to be an exciting. We're going to have an event where it gets taken over. And they're pissed about that because they don't want, in a way, entertainment anymore. They don't want surprises. They want they, – again, they have enough surprises. They want one place where they don't have to be surprised. Um, well, I think interestingly enough too, one of the subtexts of the episode is that um, I think they're upset about it because Vic and, and, and his lounge have really become yeah. a, a thing unto themselves. And having this game suddenly develop yeah. in it. It feels sort of unfair to the reality that has become. Yes, this, this isn't just an exciting event has happened. I mean, we don't get too upset when it, you know, it, it almost seems like an event in an MMO, for example. If, if you were playing the Vic Fontaine, you know, online game and then suddenly there was this event, you wouldn't get so personally invested and upset about it as these characters are. And, I mean, Cassidy has that one line, you know, the whole place has changed and no one knows how to change it back is a very simple, again, talk about the subtext of how this, you know, reflects the franchise, reflects the series. That line could be said about it, you know, especially about the Federation in the Dominion War. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we in the next episode, deals with that directly, but they want to know how they can keep their morality, keep their – keep – their integrity as Federation, as Starfleet officers, while fighting an enemy that does not have that integrity. Yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, I think that this is a, a very small scale yeah. version of getting them all together to fight a battle. You know, it's kind of an allegory yeah. as well. I, you know, oh, I, yeah. I mean, Fontaine even says, like, wait, well, would you. Would you run and hide when the Dominion came? Like, that's, you know, that's not what you're doing. He makes that kind of explicit. Yes, he does. Absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, it's interesting to me because I guess one of the things that I that I want to talk about with this episode in particular is how they all kind of gel together and how Cisco kind of comes to them. I mean, because what I what I you know, we're gonna have to grapple with with Cisco as a character in, in, in general, yeah. because he's always been someone that's been a little apart from everybody else. He's definitely. You know, he's. We've talked a lot about how he's a different captain than, than yeah. Picard, for example. But in in his kind of aloofness, I think that he is. That's like the one character trait that he and Picard have in common, and and that aloofness comes from very different reasons. Oh yeah, Picard yeah. because he wishes to pre because he thinks that command needs a certain distance, and Cisco I think because he has that's been his style. He had his son and earlier his wife, and he just has his life and his he he goes home and then he's. You know, that's where he's centered in many ways. But compare and contrast this episode with Take Me Out to the Holosuite, because in Take yeah. Me Out to the Holosuite, he was gregarious. He was very excited, almost like a little kid. And I, I think that, that Cisco, he was, I think his, his reticence to, to 
um, participate in all of this stuff. And I mean, there's that great line um, in the episode where he's like, are you going to get back to work anytime soon? Or whatever yeah. he says, you know, and it's like, cause they're all talking about a video game to him. Right. Exactly. Well, a video game that he thinks <laughs> is racist and well, offensive. I, you know, the, and I think it's not incidental that there is a lot of racial history on baseball. I mean, the, it's not incidental that somebody who feels very passionately about civil rights loves Jackie Robinson's sport, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. But I think that, um, yeah, it's hard because I don't, I don't know that there's really – Well, I don't know that really like there's much to talk about with this episode because, you know, I mean, I, I guess, certainly it's a good heist episode. Yeah. But... Well, one, one thing that I – did feel a little pause at the mention of civil rights in that is that Vic Fontaine is Frank Sinatra, right? Like, let's not kid ourselves. That's who he's kind of supposed to be. Well, yeah. Sinatra was very well known for his support of civil rights causes about, you know, hanging out with Sa- Sammy Davis Jr. was a way of getting white audiences to see a black performer. I mean, that at the end when he's singing the duet with Cisco, you know, that's kind of what it reminded me of. You know, Sinatra refused to play at segregated clubs. He and so you would think that a club that Vic Fontaine would run would be integrated in that way, just as Sinatra didn't run any clubs that I was aware uh, that I'm aware of. But if, if he had his own place, well, except for the mafia, well, too, you know, true. But no, if he had his own place, it would have been integrated. And so that is the one slightly off note here. But that said, I do, well, I do appreciate that it is again. It resonates with far beyond the stars and that plot line and that. It is a way of, I don't know. Ma- well, I don't know that it's an off note because yeah, part of the whole thing about Vix in general is that they don't notice the differences. Yeah. So having Vic be an integrationist would have been yeah, putting reality into this unreal situation, this fantasy situation, as Cassidy says, about how things could have been. Because let's not forget, it's not just black people being treated as equally as everybody else in this Holosuite program. Yeah. We have aliens running around that's, and no one says anything about no, it. No, that's so. a fair. It's not as – no, you're you're right. This isn't a situation in which a deliberate was de- decision was made. I'm using my clout as Frank Godzam Sinatra to say, you know, this is wrong and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to accept it. That's one thing. This is just – that doesn't exist. We're not going to even – I guess Cisco feels that it's been sanitized or boulderized away rather than addressed. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know. I mean I feel like hmm. – I, I always grapple with, with Cisco's um, interest in this sort of thing because, of course, it was very far in the past. And I, I get it. I mean I, I think that it's it's relevant because the television show was being made in the 1990s and not really – you know, it's not actually yeah. taking place in, in the 24th century. Yeah. So that's why it's in the show. This kind of culture, and especially given that in the late 90s, Swing was getting a random revival. Like, uh, True. But I do I do think that, to Cisco's point, I, I don't know that this is really the right place for this. I mean, I get his, I get his uh, uh, insistence that this is not something that he wants to partake in, and him coming around to it is... Partly a, uh, I guess it's a, a an olive branch out to, to Cassidy, yeah. who he loves, and you and know, I is think in a there is a way with. that you know this isn't without without undermining Cisco's point at all. I think there is partially an emphasis of you know, but this isn't trying to be. 
I'm thinking of how to phrase well, there's this. No... Like, this isn't exactly the hill to die on because this is very well-meaning and you live – and this was a artifact of the Federation, which is created on a basis of equality, not an artifact of the 1960s, which was when strong racial tensions. I, I, I guess there is a, a degree of this artifact does come from a society that has heard you know, Ben Russell's message. But also, I think there, there's nothing precluding somebody from writing a Holosuite program that was historically accurate. Yes. I mean, you certainly could do that. Yes. I, I don't think that that would even be a bad thing necessarily. No. I mean, it would be a good teaching tool. It would be a good way to um, dramatize the, the reality of what people lived with well, uh, in, in, in that time period. Isn't that what we were just saying earlier about you know time travel shows now, which are aware of other experiences, have to take that – another person's experience would be you know it's the same thing you're right um and maybe this was i i mean i don't think the federation average citizens are really if 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 the federation is supposed to be a post-racial society then most citizens don't go about thinking about it because that racism doesn't exist to them now yeah now cisco's point will be that you know we still we have a history of this and we need to be vigilant against this creeping back sure sure we we need to strive for that commitment to equality and i guess cassidy's point is yes but you know part of the degree of equality is that we all can just have a escapist fantasy for a little while where we don't have to worry about that it would have been nice to have gone into a version of a las vegas nightclub in 1962 that was not dealing with uh segregation this and, is the opportunity to do that. And also, I, I don't know if this is something that, that Cisco realizes consciously in the episode, but I think that having all of these very different people, you know, racially, culturally, even, even you know, alien-wise, yeah. I mean, you know, you've got a Bajoran, you've got um, uh, Rom, who's a Erd Nog, yeah. who's a, a Ferengi, um, you know, you've got Ezri, who's a Trill, uh, coming together to come up with this elaborate plan to save yeah. a holographic character is honoring both the struggle that everybody in the past fought for to get to the Federation and is also a strong sign that the Federation is still working. Yes. I I, I mean I'm not I trying to put I'm not trying to like put too grandiose a point on an episode like Bada Bing Bada Bang, but I think <laughs> that even in a small episode like this, you know, I think that's really what I that, think that that is why this is such a great small episode because it it's not just all right. Well, it's not just a filler episode. You know, we want to make a fun, you know, funny episode. We're going to have Star Trek Trek do Ocean's 11 and yet it still is thematically resonant. It is if it's not the deepest episode, if it's not Treachery Faith in the Great River or uh in the Pale Moonlight, well, it still has something it still has a couple of things to say. Yeah, and I mean, and also, you know, leaving all that aside, it it is just fun. I mean, it's yeah. a really entertaining episode. And oh yeah, you know, you, it's fun seeing them do the heist right, and then you know it's going to go wrong, and it's fun seeing how it goes wrong. It's nice seeing everybody correcting. It's it's interesting seeing a bunch of Starfleet officers doing something. In a, it, it it lets them be in an illegal heist plot while still keeping their morality intact in a way like none of what they're going to do you know it doesn't matter that they're getting uh johnny eyes you know iced at the end of this because he's not real in the sense that vic fontaine is real you know right. and it, it again it's it it's it allows them to practice the war while not getting dirty yeah yeah i think so 
Well, maybe the final thing to say about uh, Bada Bing Bada Bang is um, they're from Jersey. Yeah, I know. Bayshore is in New Jersey. <laughs> uh, it's kind of true. It is. All right, let's let's move on to uh, Inter Arma get in to thing blah which i think they gave this episode that name because they knew that podcasters 20 years in the future <laughs> would have to say it and don't speak latin and so would have to trip over it they were very prescient they, this is a very this is why this is such a good show yeah. because it really you know predicted what life would be like yeah 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 uh, I think we were talking about Twitter, though, about how Gold Ducat is a lot more uh, rational and articulate than Trump is. But, you know, that's fine, though. Hey, so no, it's not. Nothing about Trump is fine. <laughs> so um, you said you thought Section 31 would be back. Yeah. Section 31 was back. Yeah. Uh, how did you feel about it? I. You know, on the one hand, I was thinking, yeah, it has been a while. I'm surprised that they, you know, I. Thought it was, you know, did they forget about the plot line? Did they wait? On the other hand, I can also see it the thing that it does need to be used sparingly because it is kind of such a powerful spice in a way, the concept. Yeah. Now, I, you know, I struggle with Section 31. Yeah. Because when we talked about Inquisition from the end of the sixth season, and that was the last time that we had seen Sloan, it's the last time Section 31 had been mentioned. And the first time. Mentioned, and the first time. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I kind of talked around it by saying that I, I didn't think it was antithetical to Star Trek. And partly that was because it's it was kind of undeveloped in, in that episode. Yeah. You didn't really know what was going on. And I think in this episode, you could make a much stronger argument that Section 31 was a bad idea. Okay. I, I don't... Well... I don't know, like, because part of it to me is this is a profound change to the way that we think about the Federation. This is a profound change to the way yeah. that we think about the the beliefs and the, um, frankly, the the optimistic take on the future where the Federation exists to act in good faith, believes that people acting in good faith can come together and come to a mutual understanding. And yeah. this episode explicitly says... Yeah, but sometimes you have to get dirty and we have to protect men like you that think that way. Well, and I don't know how I feel about that. See, here's I guess because I think there are a lot more people like Bashir than Sloan in the Federation, right? Like I I sure I, I think if you take everybody together, most of the people in the Federation are optimistic, are doing things in good faith, are like Bashir and most of the people that they are going to come in contact with are as well in good faith, looking for peace, looking to most of the people the Federation deals with are probably – I think Section 31 exists towards that small minority of entities who are not dealing in good faith. Again, the Dominion War is one of the biggest crises that the Federation is dealing with because the Dominion is the opposite of good faith. And so – Yeah, but I think – I, 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 I know. His, my, his, my problem with it though is that it undercuts the very message yeah. of Star Trek and the very sort of fundamental basis of the Federation, which is that um, even, even entities, races, governments, yeah. whatever, people that are not acting in good faith uh, can be brought around. Yes. And, and Section 31 – I don't know. I, I think that I, it, it, it's, it, a, it's a problem. And I think that well, it's especially a problem, in but... this episode, I don't know. Like Bashir comes across as extremely, extremely naive. Hmm. And okay, Bashir's naive. Fine. Uh, I can buy that Bashir is naive. But 
I don't believe that he's this stupid. And and he's walking around, you know, I don't know. It, it This episode to me also, I mean, I like well, this episode, but it, it, it also makes kind of a mockery of what Star Trek has been. Because, hmm. you know, Bashir going to Kreetak and, and trusting her basically is getting her killed. And it's it's cynical in a way that I'm okay with Star Trek being cynical sometimes, but this is cynical to the point of offense almost to me. Well, I guess it hinges on part of it is that Sloane says at the end, you know, Kretak would have sold us out as soon, you know, she was viewing the, the alliance as temporary. We only have his word on that. And I guess part of the episode depends on whether or not we can believe him. If we can I, be- I don't believe I that. know I don't I don't think I do either because he has no way of knowing if that's yes. true or not and frankly Kretak and fr- frankly has no idea of knowing if it's true or not either yeah she, and, she- well and frankly too who is Sloan to make those decisions yes. right like he's no one yeah he and, this, and part of it too I think is that like to me I don't know I don't know what section 31 is mm. I don't know how it's structured I don't know how many operatives they have I don't know I mean, let they, me. They must. They must have agents in Starfleet intelligence. They must have agents in Starfleet command. They must have agents in the Federation civilian government. It. 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 It's just. Well, let me ask this question: What's the difference between Section Thirty One and the Maquis? Um, you have to clarify. Well, you like, have to go into that a little we more. Have, I'm not sure what you're asking. Both of them have a goal that they believe is morally right, right? They need to, in the case of the Maquis, they want liberation for their colonies. In the case of Section 31, they want threats to the Federation neutralized. They believe that what they're – they do have kind of a Knight Templari kind of thing in that any means is okay in order to these to get these morally justifiable ends, in order to protect – the innocent colonists who are just on these worlds and being harassed by the Cardassians in order pr- to protect people like Bashir who just want to cure people and, you know, do good work and not, you know, worry about the dirty parts of war. Um, both of them take their authority from themselves or doing something which is explicitly against what the Federation says and yet feel that the Federation's authority cannot intervene in these methods. And yet we view the Marquis as... Yeah, I think there's the same kind of morally gray offshoot of the Federation at this point. Can we? I, I I guess we don't know if it's difficult to say if Section Thirty One really is part of the Federation or they're a an offshoot splinter organization that still thinks of themselves as Federation, but really kind of in essence isn't. I, I, I'm well, being the, confusing. I know. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't know what. The, I don't know what that comparison really gets us, and I'm not sure that it's clarifying. I mean, I think that the Maquis and the Section 31 are, are very different, and uh, you know, also the Maquis are dead now, so it doesn't really yeah, matter, I true. guess. But but you know, I, I, I Section 31 is is an extra uh, governmental agency that yeah. that no one knows exists that is operating in secret and doing really terrible things ostensibly in defense of the federation without any oversight and so the it, maquis are basically rebels so i, I you know i, I don't well, know i that. guess but, but but you know as much as the section 31 claims to have been founded by the, as a, an integral part of the federation if they are op- if they are operating completely autonomously are they really part of starfleet are they re- intelligence do you know what i mean if they are well, they're not part of starfleet it, intelligence uh so i guess what i'm saying is section 31 as i understand they don't, it is its own well we don't really know right so i, mean, so Sl- I guess Sloan my could be lying my question is what you know what 
can we take what Section 31 believes as part of what the Federation believes, or has Section 31 gone so far from the ideals of the Federation that we can't even talk, you know, that it does, that the Federation is still innocent? Do you know what I mean? Like, we can still say that there is opt, I don't know. Well, I, I think that the Federation is not omniscient, and, and yeah. Starfleet is not omniscient. And so, Having this sort of, frankly, conspiracy theory-ish agency out there doing... It was the 90s. It was the X-Files time. (laughs) True. But I I think that, like, it kind of makes Starfleet... I mean, like, we know that Starfleet intelligence exists, right? And so... And also, I don't know why they're Starfleet intelligence. Like, they probably should be Federation intelligence. I I don't know. We we don't really need to go on a road of talking about like the governmental structure. I guess maybe I'm coming through a very roundabout and, you know, philosophical way of saying that I kind of agree with you that section 31 may not be as well thought out as it was because it's in a way it kind section 31 says it's making all of these in the pale moonlight decisions from day to day that's what it exists to do to take the pressure off of you know people like ben cisco i mean they i think section 31 dropped the ball and should have done that for him in a way but he, but um, that, well that's exactly my point like like with something like in the pale moonlight yeah. when when cisco is basically acting like a section 31 operator yeah. in that episode uh with the help of garrick you know I mean, Garrick ostensibly would would applaud the fact that Section Thirty One yeah. exists. I mean, Garrick is in this episode. You know, obviously that that very beginning lunch scene is is a way to you know yeah. is a way to start out the episode on a note that is going to contextualize everything that's come after it. Well, and, yeah, Garrick has that line about you know Bashir still wants to see the universe that he want the way he wishes things were, which is the Federation's motto. You know, the Federation wishes that everybody would be acting in good faith and so acts as if that's the case uh, versus how the world actually is, which is the, you know, but part, I mean, part of it is like, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not super interested in criticisms of the Federation. Like that's not why I watch Star Trek. And to me, I don't know. I'm not really sure what the point of this is like it just and especially coming at the very end of the show when we have a character like admiral ross who is someone that i think we we've come to respect and and uh, yeah uh, like believe in and like to have him you know conspire with sloan in section 31 to to get kreetak arrested and and to protect koval i mean i'm okay with with I'm okay with Starfleet intelligence having operatives. I'm okay. You know, like whatever, it's fine. I I, I think that that's whatever, but I just don't know that, that I think it's just the secretive nature of section 31 that gets to me. Maybe one of the points that they could have made. And again, this goes to our normal habit of fixing the episode, but let's go back to the statement of you. Well, your normal habit of fixing the, I like it. Um, Seeing the world the way one wishes it were versus the way it is, let's let's pretend we can full on say this is Star Trek. The world is optimistic. People will act in good faith. People can be turned. And for whatever dark reason, Sloan has gotten jaded to the point where he wishes to see the world where there's conspiracies everywhere. And he's acting as if there are conspiracies everywhere and making – you know, he sees uh, – Well, what, there are conspiracies everywhere. But but – Again, I mean, this this episode does argue that there are conspiracies everywhere. But but and, but but again, this this episode makes conspiracies going through what's the senator's name, the lady, Kretak. Kretak. This all 
the entire plan is predicated on Kreetag is not acting in good faith. The second that she realizes that it's going to benefit, you know, Romulus to, you know, torch the alliance, she's going to do that. You know, and if that is the case, then yes, the Federation is erring in trusting her. Is It's going to be to her downfall. They're going to you know, get somebody who, whereas Kolak is really the one who Koval. is, Koval is the one who's truly, he's the Federation plant. He's Kojak. the one who's, who's, yeah, who's loyal enough. And what they've done is, you know, secure him so that he is going to make sure the Federation has an in. But the, again, this assumes that Kretak is not acting in good faith. And I think you and I going from this episode and maybe we're naive, maybe we're too trusting, but I think she is, looking for a new era well I, I mean, yeah i certainly uh, uh, i don't know i think you know that, she she and bashir at least seem to if not if they're not friends yet if they know they can't quite trust the, each other are making overtures i mean at the end of the episode when they're you know having when they're they're in the council and they say you know they're saying to bashir but you know the person you talked to was you know, this Romulan senator, and he says, yes, like, you can see in their minds, like, that shows kind of this, you know, are, are the Romulans thinking, what an idiot, the Federation went to us, you know, for help, or are they thinking, this is how strongly the Federation believes in this alliance, that they think that, you know, if they come to us in good faith, you know, saying for help, they're, we're going to be able to provide it. I mean, that Well, and, and I mean, there's two things there. I mean, number one, I, I think that Garrick's line about the Romulans being an intractable foe for three centuries is... Um, it, that's the primary difference between the Federation and everybody yeah. else. That, that the Federation does believe that the Romulans will eventually come around. And, you know, let's go all the way back to something like Star Trek VI, right? Where um, the, the Klingons yes. came into the fold. And, yeah. and the hostilities between the Federation and the Klingons were stopped or were halted for a time because of the good faith effort on the Federation's part to help the Klingons with their humanitarian disaster. And even within this series, we've seen the Alliance falter, but ultimately come back. And they, you know, both the Klingons and the Federation have openly figured like, okay, we want this alliance. How? What's the best face-saving way we can do this? You right, know? and the only reason that the alliance fell apart in the first place was because of dominion manipulation. Dominion. Right. So I, I think that the Klingons are the strongest example yeah. for, for the Federation's philosophy working. The Federation now, believes that the Romulans are going to be the next generation's, you know, Klingons. Again, I think if we if we had a series which was a sequel series to DS Nine, it would make sense for the Romulans to be the new. In, in in species in a way i i think that that yeah i think so but i think that my my problem with section 31 really is that i don't know that it's as if i got a sense that it was that it was well thought out i think i would yes. have less of a problem with and that's it fair. i don't know that it's well thought out i think that they wanted to dirty up the federation a little bit they go a little too far with it i mean if section 31 was the kind of agency that um lied and lied in wait and just sort of like didn't do much right and they were some sort of like secret cabal that that you know people were recruited into over 200 years and they just kind of like didn't do much but every once in a while something would happen and they would need them right like that would make a lot more sense to me than than this kind of idea that the episode is trying to propagate that section 31 is this extra governmental intelligence agency that is working in secret no one knows it exists outside of the realm of any kind of oversight by the Federation government or Starfleet or Starfleet intelligence or anything. Um, 
that is like actively working throughout the entire history of the Federation. Like that to me is a little too far. And I, I think that, and, and I don't know, maybe like section 31 was sleeping for a long <laughs> time and the dominion war, they reactivated. I, I don't know. Maybe that's a retcon in my head. Maybe that's a fan theory that I'm trying to make section 31 work in, but like it also makes Starfleet intelligence yeah. out to be idiots. Like, frankly, yeah. I mean, I, I I can't believe that no one in Starfleet intelligence knows that Section Thirty One exists. Like, no one has ever looked at the charter of like the Federation. Like, yeah, what? Like, I wait, don't... we go from Section Thirty to Section Thirty Two. That's weird. Like, what would happen if? I mean, like, I'm just you know spitballing here, but like, what would happen if like Bashir uncovered Section Thirty One and there was a whole big thing and. You know, the Federation Council repealed Section 31 of the Federation Charter and and, and arrested Sloan and everybody yeah. else involved in Section 31 and uncovered this vast conspiracy and fixed everything. Uh, you know, would, would Section 31 just go, OK, well, that's fine then. Like, I don't know if they would. Well, maybe that would be an interesting sequel series, Section 31 versus the Federation. We know what we're doing for We know better for you. In a way, Section 31 you're right. It does seem undeveloped. Section 31 needs to think it's daddy, right? They need to think that they're the operative from uh, Firefly. They need to think that they know what's better for the Federation than the Federation really does. And so they're going to do the real hard work so that we can still be protected and safe and innocent and think that are nice. Again, you're right. That does – it is a kind of a – it is a very cynical outlook of the world and i mean that's why like i mean part of it is i wish that the episode was was demonstrating that it was a little smarter than i actually think it is because for example i think the fact that sloan walks around in leather fetish gear is ridiculous yeah and and you know like like, well let me finish my point if the episode was smarter than i think it is i think that sloan would be adopting that look because he knew that bashir would buy into it and i you know like if section 31 is real and sloan is actually an operative or the head of section 31 or whatever the fuck he's supposed to be i don't think he would actually dress like that like that's super conspicuous (laughs) oh yeah i i I mean i no, you're right i mean i i was able to figure out pretty much everything about it because i realized like this is a whole lot of dumb show for Bashir's benefit so that way you know things act the way they do he goes to you know he's going to go to Sapir, to Cisco and Ross and say well apparently section 31 didn't exist it was you know just one guy's crazy crusade well let's say that section 31 doesn't exist Sloan really does just work for Starfleet intelligence and he's just an agent with a lot of power and that his um mission is just we have a um you know we have this we have kojak this double agent in romulus and we don't think that kretak is going to you know she's a less known quantity so make sure by any means necessary that kolak is you know kreelak whatever his name is is on on this council koval oh kretak who are you talking about? They the want to make the woman or the man, the dude. Um, no, Star, all all Sloane's mission is you know he's a Starfleet intelligence officer who's been given the mission. Kolar is Kovac. What is his name? Koval. The dude. The dude is a is a. Now we're talking about. Now we're talking about the Big Lebowski. <laughs> I, I I just can't do this. Um, why don't they have real names like Sue and Alan? Because they're Romulans, Richard. All right, so. 
We want Alan on the council. We don't care what happens to anybody else just by any means necessary. You know, Sue is not as known of a quantity than Alan is. So, and then he, you know, Sloan decides on his own because he does have the cynical worldview that, you know, the Federation needs to be protected and that one can get their hands dirty in order to fix that. And he goes with Section 31 using Bashir as a long game, but why the fuck would he do that, Richard? Shut up. Right. I, you're well, right. No, it, 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 it's one of those, I guess you're right. It was the 90s and conspiracy theories were cool, so they wanted to put one into Star Trek, and if it didn't quite work, they were hoping that the... I mean, look, I, I, I don't think Deep Space Nine is perfect, and I think that, you know, no. I defended Section 31 in Inquisition because I thought that it was an interesting idea. I think in this episode, yeah. it is revealed to be an interesting idea that they had no idea what to do with. And that's fair. And, and it does undercut the philosophy of Star Trek to a degree that I find uncomfortable. I, I, I think it's a mistake. I think it's a misstep, and, uh, you know, I would not be sad if Section 31 was retconned out of existence. Now, of course... What, do, I, I, we do see it again, um, so I'm not going to say where or when, but we do see Section 31 again. I I don't know. I because, just yeah, they have to have some, but and, and that's because also like you know you know Voyager's not going to do anything with Section 31. Yeah. Um, Enterprise, I don't remember if it does anything with Section 31. I mean, like the, we do see Section 31 again. I'm not going to say when or where, but um. I, yeah, it's just like my primary. I guess my prim- maybe the last thing to talk about, maybe, yeah. and we can move on to something else, is that I could be okay with the existence of Section Thirty One if they didn't act unless the Federation's philosophy failed. And I'm not yeah. saying that it's perfect, right? I mean, I think that the Federation does fail. The Federation is not perfect. Acting in good faith and trusting people and and does not always work. And if if Section Thirty One operated in an environment of okay, we're going to trust but verify, right? Like mm. the Federation can do its thing. We're part of the Federation, but we are going to be the people that actually uh, uh, make sure that what the Federation is doing um, is in the best interest of the Federation. And if it fails, then we're in a position to protect the Federation. Like yeah. I'd be okay with that, but it doesn't seem like that's what Section Thirty One is. Yeah, that's. That's it. They again. They think they know better than the Federation. They they say they're part of the Federation and they're acting in the Federation's interests, but they're outside of it. And nobody seems really interested in like arresting Sloane either, yeah. which is strange to me. Like, I, I, I get that Sloane is apparently Houdini, but Odo's a shapeshifter. Like, why doesn't he just hang out in in Bashir's yeah. quarters as a chair? Like, I you know what I mean? Like, it's it's just like. It, Odo could be the chair that that Sloan was sitting in, and then suddenly it's a cage. Like I, I just don't. Yeah, you know, like I don't. No, I don't get it. There's other ways. Like if they wanted to catch him, they could catch him. Is what I'm saying. And and it doesn't seem like anybody's yeah, really that interested. Yeah, but he needs to appear again. I guess it's you know. Yeah, it's it seems like a great idea that they just didn't. And this, the sad thing is, I actually think this is a good episode. Yeah. Like, I mean... Oh, in terms of construction, in terms of the little mystery that, you know, in terms of the mystery of it. Again, I figured it out because it's very well constructed. It it all makes sense. It all fits together except the existence, you know. And maybe if we just saw that – if you've never seen any Star Trek before, right? If you just saw this episode – I haven't ever seen any Star Trek before. This was my first episode. So let's pretend this was your first episode and you just knew this thing called the Federation existed and Section 31 is the evil black ops organization that protects it and it's, you know, a little more – I think it would be – it would have less of a sour taste in the mouth. 
That possibly. Because you believe in the Federation. I do believe in the Federation. Well, then don't you feel you have a glimpse of how Bashir feels at the end of this episode? Well, yeah. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good Bashir episode. I I, I do think that he uh, comes across as a bit naive, but I think that's the point. Yeah. And I think he's honestly offended by Sloan. I think he's honestly offended by by Admiral Ross's, uh, you know, collusion with Sloan. And I think that, you know, Admiral Ross, I don't know. I think that last scene between Admiral Ross and Bashir is is very strong. I don't know if it goes far enough. Mm. I, I... I think that Admiral Ross has revealed himself to be someone who is is not deserving of Bashir's respect. Yeah. And I think that Bashir is still so conditioned to respect the chain of command that when Admiral Ross says that conversation is over, it Bashir agrees with him. Mm. But I don't think that conversation should have been over. No. You know, I think that conversation should have had Bashir give the last word, and it doesn't. And I think that that's also a, a problem with it. Yeah, I mean, he's trying to say something by not putting his badge on, but I don't think it's quite articulate enough. Right. I, I don't... I don't it, know. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't really work. And it's I not think, as much of a fuck you as it was intended to be, I think. I, I think so. I mean, I think that Bashir needed really to, to actually say something else and not just not put his badge on and walk out. I mean, and frankly, too, I mean, Admiral yeah. Ross's reason for colluding with Sloan in the first place seems kind of lame. Well, he's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this this... I think every step of this Romulan alliance, though, has been very interesting because it's always been so shaky. Everyone's expecting it to crumble at any moment, and a lot of dark shit was done in order to create and preserve it. Like, that's that's a problem, you know, this and— Yeah, because what does that say about the Federation? I mean, not yeah. to go back around to the Federation again, but what does that say about the Federation's approach? Yeah. That, that they, they can't— convince the Romulans that now, you know, okay, maybe you can make the argument that the Romulans are just too duplicitous yeah. and are just too paranoid and can never be brought over to the Federation side, no matter what the Federation does. Yeah. But but, may, but then make that argument. And, and, and this is also DS nine. This is the show that gave us the concept of good Cardassians, right? So we can't watch, have watched, we, we, We've gone this far. We don't believe that every single Romulan is acting in bad faith. Like, I mean, look, I'll be honest. If I if I could could take like two things, like if I had a list of things I could take out of Star yeah. Trek, the Romulans would be one of them. And the Mirror Universe is the other. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just I don't think that Star Trek yeah. ever really understands the Romulans or does a very good job with them. And you know, every time the Romulans, I mean, even Deep Space Nine doesn't know what to yeah. do with the Romulans. And no. Deep Space Nine has been the the show that has redeemed the Ferengi, has yeah. developed the Cardassians to a large degree, has created the 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 Dominion, the Jem'Hadar. I mean, you know, like they've done a really good job at at making this feel like a more lived in universe. And they still can't figure out what the fuck to do with the with the Romulans. Yeah, all the you know, all the best that we have is Garrick saying that you know everything about them is gray, including their hearts. Which is like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, again, and I think for Bashir... And also, can we please stop saying that the Vulcans and the Romulans are identical because they're fucking not because the Romulans have those damn ridges on their forehead and the Vulcans don't? Anyway. Well, I mean, that's I guess that's Bashir's weak point about, well, there are some important physiological differences. It says genetic differences. Uh, Whatever. Um, Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think Sue is... is she's perfectly justified in being wary. She has she knows very well that 
what the relations between the Federation and the Romulans have been since the since they met. Yeah, yeah. And at the same time, she does know. You know, I think she does believe Bashir is acting in good faith. I think she does think that he is a good guy and that he is, you know, what he says he is. I think the that he comes to her in order to, you know, telling her something that could possibly damage the the. Uh, relations in order to save a you know a, a senator she that they don't even like I think that goes a long way to her again I think that I th- and certainly Bashir believes that if Sue isn't completely acting in good faith she will be you know she just needs more time this alliance needs more time to set in in times of you know once they are in a time of peace and they have a lot less stress. You know, then we'll get we'll hammer out some trade agreements, and you know we'll do some more cultural exchange and stuff, and we will cement the alliance that way. Um, and I think Bashir is fundamental. You know, Sloan seems to think that you know the, the second the Dominion's gone, there will be a power vacuum, and the Romulans will strike. I think Bashir believes that they'll finally all be tired of war. Sue seems certainly tired of war, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen plenty of Cardassians tired of war. And I mean, maybe that, again, is uh, the final point I want to make about this episode is that maybe that is the, the, the final problem with it is that I think that, that Sloane's, um, Sloan's, frankly, paranoia is not, is not yeah. justified because when have the Romulans ever really been a threat? <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm not, and I'm not trying to be funny. No, no, I, it's I, true. I mean, I I remember when the alliance was in the first place. I was like, well, they can't be giving that much more help to the Federation than they, you know. Like the one thing that we know about the Romulans is that they fought a war with Earth before the Federation was founded. But yeah. Aside from that, they've they've been an annoyance, but. I don't really ever see any evidence that they're like a huge threat. I was going to say, you know, you you have if the if the Romulans turn around, then you've got uh, you've got humans, you've got Vulcans, you've got Klingons, you've got uh, Bajorans, you've got you know basically all a ton of, and those are just the ones I'm thinking off the top of my head. Versus the Romulans, you know, it's yeah. The implication is that the alliance was made because the Romulans were that much extra firepower, and we certainly would rather them on our side than the Dominion side, but. You know, and they are strategically important, but they're not. It's not like, you know, it's not like Bajor versus the Romulans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's it. Okay. Well, if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes we just discussed, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash trekaboutshow. If you support our podcasting endeavors uh, by $5 a month or more, you will get a patron specials. Uh, The one that we did for this month is about LGBT representation in Star Trek, and I think it is quite good. And there's another one coming out next week. We're on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Trekaboutshow is our name in all those places. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Trekabout. It has been a long time since we've gotten one, and we want... A new one, especially because we're both extremely depressed that Trump is now the president. Yeah. Next week. This is it, Richard. We are now entering the final long serialized stretch of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Trade tables up, seatbelts on, all trash in the receptacles. We've got, uh, I believe, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine episodes left. Hmm. The last episode, of course. 
is a double feature episode that is 90 minutes long. So really, we have 10 more episodes, but, you know. Five more episodes of Trek About? Well, for Deep Space Nine. And then we've got other, other, then we've got other things. This is a long project. We're going to finally meet Tuvok. Finally meet Tuvok. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about Penumbra and Till Death Do Us Part. <laughs>